You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. So uh, it is Memorial Day weekend, which typically is our kickoff to the summer, right? Our unofficial kickoff of the summer season, or more importantly, vacation season, right? Which is going to look a little bit different this year. I don't know if your vacation plans have been changed or canceled, or if you haven't started thinking about your vacation plans yet, but uh, it, is, it is the time for vacation. And one popular summer vacation that has really been impacted during this time of coronavirus and the pandemic going around is the cruise vacation. Anybody here, I, I feel like I may have, just by mentioning the word cruise, I may have lost some of our audience already, because now that I said the word cruise, some of you, that's all you can think about for the rest of church now is being on a cruise. Because I found that there are, there are the people that have been on cruises, and they become cruise people. Do we have any cruise people this morning? Do we have cruise people? Okay, honestly, I'm glad that I saw no hands go up, because I would not consider myself a cruise person. I've never been on a cruise. That's not my idea, really, of a vacation, like put me on a boat with 3,000 other people where I can stand in line and like live in a small room for a week. That's not really what I think of, but I've had friends that are, that are cruise people. They went on a cruise. They'd never been on one before. They came back changed. They were like disciples of cruises, and all that they could talk about was cruises and that I should go on a cruise and all this stuff, and I'd ask them, like, well, what is so good about the cruise? What do you enjoy so much about the cruise? The only answer I could ever get back would be the food, right? Have you ever talked to the cruise people? That's always the answer is how much they ordered at mealtime or how big the like breakfast buffet was. And I'm like, yeah, but you went to this like exotic location too. They're like, oh yeah, that was great. And while we were there, guess what we ate? All they talk about is the food on these cruises. I've thought about this for a long time and I've come to a decision that I would go on a cruise. I I want to go on a cruise if I could be guaranteed that the boat goes down. Okay? I know that sounds a little crazy, but in my brain, this sounds like an exciting vacation, right? I want to be on the cruise ship that you see on the news that's like stranded out in the ocean, starting to go sideways, and there's like helicopters circling there, like we don't know if people are going to be okay. That sounds exciting to me. Like that's an adventure, right? I want an adventure vacation because I feel like that's the moment where you're going to find out what you're made of, right? Like I came for the breakfast buffet, but I left knowing whether I was a hero or a coward, right? You think it's entertaining to have like a little bunny folded up out of your towel and on your bed like at the end of the day? Imagine watching these sunburnt tourists like running for their lives and competing with people like we'll get to see like which dad is going to try and save his family or maybe save his luggage and then which person is like pushing people out of the way to get their life jacket, right? I want to be able to find that out about myself. I want to know, am I the coward or am I the hero? And you're not going to know until you're in that position. That's the vacation that I'm looking for, is the cruise vacation. Because in a time of crisis, we find out what we're made of. And somehow in my weird brain, there's a little bit of a parallel between that strange idea I have of a cruise ship going down and I think the current time of crisis that we've been in. Because in this time of crisis, I think we've been able to find out a little bit what we're made of. Are we the heroes or are we the cowards? Are we standing up well in this time of social distancing and quarantine or are we doing terribly? Our society as a whole, we're beginning to learn how our society does in these times. 
And so I looked up some kind of statistics just of the last two months, how things have been going for us, what it reflects upon us during this time of a crisis, what it reflects upon our society. And here's what I've seen. As, uh, as things have gotten crazy, there's been an increase. This probably won't come as a surprise to you. There's been an increase in streaming. The week of March 21st, there was 156 billion minutes streamed over various platforms like Netflix and Disney Plus or whatever else. That is twice the amount as the same date the year before. So when crisis struck, a lot of us ran to entertainment. There's been an increase in what I would call self-medication. The uh, sales of alcohol in March went up by 55% compared to last year. Online alcohol sales have gone up by 243%. In states where marijuana is legal, the sales for marijuana has shot off the charts. So during this time of crisis, many of us ran to entertainment. Many of us began to run towards substances to help us out in this time. There's been an increase in sexual obsession we've seen during this time. There's been charts are showing that pornography usage among American households is, again, off the charts. A popular dating site for married couples, not like for you to find someone to marry, but you're already married and you want to find someone. There's a popular site there that has found a huge increase in their usage, an average of 1,500 new members per day during the time of quarantine. So many of us in this time of crisis have ran to different areas. And here's what I'd like to focus in on. There's been a huge increase during this time, even though many of us are out of work or maybe on furlough, there has been a huge increase in online spending. Let me just show you a couple of things. Things that you would expect, like hand sanitizer and Clorox wipes, like those, of course, have really been searched for. But then other things like new necessities have come to the top that, like, we've just been searching for crazy on Amazon.com. Hair clippers, off the charts. Uh, let's see what else. Hair clippers, bed desks. Anybody need, like, you're working from home, you want to work in bed. Bed desks are off the chart. And this one right here, bidets. Bidets are just heavily searched for during this time of quarantine uh, on Amazon.com. So we have like kind of the expected normals. We have new necessities that have popped up. But then there's kind of the non-necessities. And this is what I find hilarious. Uh, I read an article in Forbes this week because I read read that kind of stuff, right? Uh, That talks about just all of the spending on Amazon. And what they found is that non-necessities like paint by numbers for grown-ups have done really well, that they've been extra searched for. Bread makers, making bread apparently is the new like popular sport. Bread makers are getting sold like crazy, and ladies' sweatpants have been crazily searched for during the last two months. Do you like how I said ladies' sweatpants too? Like like we're in the ladies' section, they're special, you know, sweatpants. And then here's what I found crazy. The game Jenga, the popular game Jenga, There's been an increase in searches by almost 15,000%. Jenga is doing really well during quarantine. And so during this time of quarantine, during these crazy times of crisis, we have really turned to spending. And I want to let you know that as we talk about this spiritual discipline this morning, we're going to get into the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And we're going to talk a lot about how we manage our finances. And I just want to say as we get into that topic, this is not a giving message. That's why we did offering beforehand. We're not just talking about, like, I'm not just giving you a commercial saying, hey, give us all your money at Discovery. We need it. That's not what this message is. We're going to talk about simplicity. And to show you, too, that I wrote a sermon for me I'm going to read to you now 
my Amazon spending or the Amazon spending of the Gregory household in the last two months. Are you ready for this? This is to prove that I'm with you. I'm not against you. I need to hear what I'm talking about this morning. Here's what the Gregory's have bought in the last two months. One sweatshirt, two pair of pants, one pair of shorts, one t-shirt, a paint by stickers activity book, a box of lemon flavored Lara bars. Delicious. Lara bar people, anybody. Two Lego sets, not for the kids. Some uh, L'Oreal Lash Boost. I don't know what that is, but it was purchased. Packs of seeds for gardening, which I don't think we've planted. A hammock with a collapsible stand. It's awesome. You can tear up the stand, move it anywhere, and just relax wherever you want to be. A pair of wireless headphones. Not one, not two, but three sets of Russian nesting dolls. We bought so many Russian nesting dolls in the last two months that we're sending them back. Russian nesting dolls. We bought a teal ukulele, a Van Morrison record, which is great, a twin-size mattress, and 24 plastic banana trophies, which may or may not have been a business purchase. The youth know what I'm talking about. When crisis hit, we started searching for things to help us through this time. As things got crazy on our boat, we started looking to stuff for our safety. We started looking to stuff for where we can find our value and our safety. And so here's the problem with this. Here's what I think this shows as we hold up a mirror to our society in a time of crisis. Here's what this shows, is that we have bought into a lie that stuff and spending is going to make life easier, that it's going to make life better, that stuff equals safety. When I don't feel safe, I can just buy something and kind of quiet that down. Or that stuff equals status. The more things I have, like the the nicer stuff that I have, the more value I'm going to get. More people are going to think I'm worth something. And that stuff can equal satisfaction. Just as I'm unhappy, well, if I buy things, I can quiet down that unhappy feeling. And so I think this kind of idea in our culture has really been revealed in this last time of quarantine. And that's why what we're talking about now is so difficult, the spiritual discipline of simplicity. And what's different about this spiritual discipline than the other ones we've gone through is that this really affects our outward actions. So if you think about it, we've talked about prayer. That's very much an inward thing. We've talked about reading the Bible. That's, again, a personal inward thing. We talked about Sabbath. That might be something you do with your family, but it's still very private and kind of internal. We talked about fasting last week, depriving ourselves from things. Again, these are all internal things. And we've wanted to use this time where we kind of have some downtime to focus on these habits. But now we get to a place where these habits, if we're employing them in our lives, eventually they should begin changing us, right? It should be more than just a change in that, well, I pray more often or I read the Bible more. We should begin to see a change in our actions. And this is where I think the discipline of simplicity comes in. And so really what I'm talking about here is just learning to not be obsessed with possessions, right? The discipline of simplicity is all about killing the obsession with possession. You guys with me? Because I don't know if you just heard me rhyme. Everybody knows that if a pastor ever rhymes something, there should be some sort of amen or uh uh-huh from the crowd, okay? So, okay, there we go. Just making sure the heat's not getting us yet. So let me say it again. The idea of simplicity is all about a spiritual discipline that fights our obsession with possession. There we go. That felt good. I like that. A breeze came through at the same time. I think that was the Lord backing up that rhyme too. This was a huge topic for Jesus. 
The idea of our spending was a huge topic for Jesus. It often came up in his teachings. And I want to focus in on just one parable today, one chapter today, where Jesus talks about how we go about our finances. And it's the parable subtitled about the rich fool, which is kind of a spoiler. So just ignore that part. But I want to read you from Luke 12. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Luke 12, starting out in verse 13. And here's what happens. Jesus is in a crowd of people, and they're probably outside. It wouldn't be too different than where we are at today. Only multiply it by like thousands of people that had gathered to hear Jesus. And as Jesus has been talking, it says someone from the crowd said to him, so probably a guy's like yelling from the back, Jesus! And it says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Jesus says to him, man, who made me a judge, an arbitrator over you? And I can only imagine at that point, like Jesus paused for laughs and got none because there's a lot of irony in what Jesus says, because Jesus is the ultimate judge, right? Who made Jesus the judge? Well, God did. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we hear about there's a whole throne called the seat of judgment and Jesus gets to sit on that throne. So for Jesus to say to this guy, who made me the judge over you is pretty hilarious. So, but nobody laughs because they don't know all that about Jesus. But then he continues on and it says, he said to them. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Now let's dive into this story that Jesus tells, because this guy, the the one titled the rich fool, this guy, I think in our society would be a hero, right? Like as I read this, I like this guy. I want to ask this guy questions because I want to get to that spot of relaxing and eating and being merry. I want to get to that, that point of early retirement, right? This is the kind of guy that I think if he lived today, like our culture, our society, we'd celebrate him. I think we would vote for a guy like this, right? We'd look around and be like, he's got the biggest barns in the neighborhood. I think he should be the mayor, right? We would, we would read his book. His book would be like seven steps to eating, drinking, and being married. Step one, build bigger barns. We would buy that book. We would read it because the things he gets to in this story are the things that we celebrate as a culture. Being able to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus doesn't necessarily celebrate this, does he? What we see in the story is that this guy has run to stuff. He's run to stuff for his status, got the biggest barns in the neighborhood. He's run to stuff for his value to say, I am important because I have all of this stuff. He has run to stuff for safety. I don't have to worry about the future because I have stockpiled all of the toilet paper that was available at Sam's. This guy has it going on, right? But then here's what Jesus says about him. Or actually, before I talk about what Jesus says about him, I want to focus in on what Jesus doesn't say about him. Nowhere in this parable does Jesus say his actions were evil. 
Nowhere in this parable does Jesus shame him or say that the stuff that he's doing is sinful. Nowhere in this does Jesus get into that talk. All he does is shows that this guy in the long run was misguided. Because verse 12, 20 says that God said to him at the end of this story, God says, this night your soul is required of you. This night, that guy is going to die. He's just completed the barn. He's just kicked up his feet. He's ready to go for years, but that night he dies. And God says, and of the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's going to go to all this stuff? What's going to happen to it now that you're dead? What's the point of your bigger barns? And so Jesus, without specifically saying it, points out that this guy was focused on the wrong thing. He had an obsession with his possessions, and he neglected to look at his soul and the future of his eternity. And this is what Jesus shows through this parable. And then he ends it by saying this right here. So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the one who gets focused on today and ignores eternity. Jesus' goal through this parable is to refocus us to get our obsession on something beyond our stuff. And again, this is a huge topic for Jesus. If we went throughout Jesus' teaching, you would find finances and how we spend our money coming up time after time. In fact, a quarter of the Sermon on the Mount, probably Jesus' most famous set of teaching, a quarter of that is dedicated to how we spend our money. It's a huge topic for Jesus. In an already simple society, in an already simple time, Jesus often pushed for more simplicity. How much more does that apply to us in our time where we've gotten obsessed with our gadgets and our things and stockpiling our stuff and building bigger barns? And that's just Jesus. If we went through the Old Testament, and I won't do this because I know I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and and there's things that fascinate me, and I'll go on talking about them and then realize I've just lost people. And so I'm not going to bore you with a lot of this today, although I I don't think it's boring. I think it's pretty exciting. But if we went through the Old Testament, and we're just going to do it briefly, okay? Like, just humor me a little bit. If we went through the Old Testament, we'd see the topic of finances popping up all the time. In fact, we touched on it uh, two weeks ago when we talked about Sabbath. God set up the weeks for Israel that there'd be a whole day where they do not work. There's a whole day where they're not buying and selling. There's a whole day where they have to say, I trust in God and not in my job. And then that was just once a week. But every seven years, they were to have a Sabbath year where they took a whole year off from planting and and sowing and, and harvesting. They took a whole year off from their jobs. And the whole idea there was to put their attention on God and help them realize that God is the one that provides for you, not yourself. God is the one that made the field grow, not you. And we could get real deep into it and be like, and that's actually pretty good for the land anyways, and maybe that had to do with some of the success of Israel. All these things that God had set up for them. So every seventh day, a Sabbath. Every seventh year, a Sabbath year. Then if we multiply that by seven, when we get to the 50th year, the year after the 49th year, I, I know a little multiplication. When we get to the 50th year, they would have the year of Jubilee. So in the year of Jubilee, this was a time where not only are you taking a break from working and not only are you celebrating, but here's what the crazy thing would happen. Here, this is insane. Everyone, the land that their family originally owned, you would go back to that land, okay? So like when they all entered into the promised land, everybody's given a section of land. Their tribes all had this section. Their families had a portion of that land. The 50th year, everyone would move back to that land. So I'd be out of here. I'm moving back to West Virginia. See you guys. 50 years is up. I'm there. 
But here's what would happen if, if you had sold a field, you no longer, like, you, that, so, that field is no longer sold to another person. You take that field back. If you had bought a field from somebody, you give that field back. If you had a servant at that time, they go free. So all of us would move back to our homeland. So anything that was bought or sold would all go back to the original owner, and there'd be this kind of reset of possessions. Now, we can look at this and, like, think from an economic standpoint, like, that would just be utter chaos, wouldn't it? Like, how are we going to keep up with whose was originally what? Like, how are we going to do all that? Like, this person's not going to give their thing up. This other person's not going to give their thing up. But what we'd find through this is that what was bought and sold wasn't based on the value it had. It was based on the time they had with it. And all of this, we begin to see God's orchestration in this. What he's trying to do is get everybody to focus less on their possessions, and to begin to focus on God. Or to put it another way, their possessions wouldn't be able to grab them as easily. They would be held loose by their possessions. Because everything would go back to reset after that 50 years. Now here's the craziest part. As, as much as biblical experts and all have looked through this, Israel never followed this 50-year jubilee to the T. They maybe did some celebrating, but they never, as far as we can tell, actually followed this. And you have to wonder what might have happened with Israel's history had they gone by what God had set up for them. Would they have gotten less obsessed with their land? Would they have gotten less focused on the wrong things and maintained their focus on God? But again, I talk about all this to show us that all throughout the Bible, God wants us to not be so focused on our stuff. Then if we sprinkle in with that all of the different times where the Bible talks about giving, where God talks to the people, if you own a field, don't cut the corners of that field. Let people like Ruth come in and the widow and the orphan and the immigrant, let them come in and glean from your fields. It talks about the times where we're caring for other people, where we are to lend generously and not charge interest all throughout the Bible. Not only is there this concept that we're to be less obsessed with what we own, we're to be looking out for others and giving generously with what we have. All of this so we can be focused less on this life and more on the kingdom. And so Jesus comes in after all of this time and he begins telling parables like the one we just heard. He begins talking to the young rich ruler who comes in and says, what am I supposed to do? I follow all the law. Jesus says, well, now start working on what you own. Sell it all and give it to the poor and then come back to me. And the guy couldn't do it. He had to just walk away. Jesus tells us, that our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. That this life isn't about our things, it's not about what we own. Why is it such a big topic with him? Because it's important to his father. And because he knows that humanity has a problem of getting focused on the wrong things. Of putting our hope into the wrong things. Our possessions will fail us. Our stuff will let us down. In fact, I think we maybe have seen that some as a culture. The more we have introduced new gadgets and new technologies, the more we have seen mental health decline. The more we've seen a rise in anxiety and depression as we've had a rise in technology that's supposed to help us out. But remember, Jesus says, Jesus says to us that our life doesn't exist in the abundance of our possessions. So our goal this morning is to begin to look around at our lives and see, are we off topic? As I've seen myself in this crisis, if I'm on a cruise ship that is going down, if that's this moment right now, what am I made of? What am I focusing on? Have I focused on Jesus or have I turned to the wrong things? 
It's right after this parable that Jesus goes into another popular saying about anxiety. It's right after Jesus talks about not being obsessed with our stuff that he begins to tell us not to be anxious because in Jesus's mind, the two are connected. He knows that there's a connection between our possessions and our mental health. And so in Luke 12, 22, and then at the end of it, verse 31, here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So what do we do with all of this? First off, I just want us to kind of begin to ask a question. Has an obsession with possessions helped or hurt our society? Where we are today in our culture, as we've seen our culture in a bit of crisis, has our obsession with stuff helped us or has it hurt us? And in this time, as we're looking to different things to get us through this trying time, are those things actually helping us or are they hurting us? And then second, I want to make it more personal. Not just our society, but you, me. In this time of crisis, what have you turned towards? In this time of crisis, what are the things you're putting around you that make you feel better? And how much is your personal well-being, how much is your level of anxiety attached to the things of this world? How much is it attached to the stuff that we can buy and obtain? Because what Jesus tells us is that our focus shouldn't be on that It should be on the kingdom because the kingdom equals eternity. All of this stuff will go away. And we never know when we will have that moment like the rich fool with the bigger barns where God says, your life is over. And then we realize how little we are focused on God and how much we are focused on ourselves. So those are the questions I want us to ask this morning is how much am I concerned with the wrong things? And in this time of crisis, Have I gotten too focused on the wrong stuff? Does my life reflect a life like Jesus's, a life of simplicity that's brought on by me giving, looking more to the needs of others rather than the fears of myself, looking more to helping out others? What can I do with what God has given me rather than how can I build bigger barns? So what I want to do right now is we're going to turn to a time of communion. And in communion, we get that opportunity to reflect on what Jesus did for us the great suffering he went through so that we wouldn't have to suffer eternally. What Jesus did in our world so that we could live in the next world with him. And so if you don't have your communion cups yet, if you want to get up and grab one, grab some for your family, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to read through uh, these next verses that Jesus read to us. And in that time, I want you to listen to what he said, but also reflect on what Jesus did for us. That in the juice that you drink, that represents his body or his blood that was poured out for us. The little cracker you're going to eat, that that was his body broken for us so that we could live forever with him. And I want to read to you Luke 12, 22 through 34. It's this next section that Jesus talks about after the, the rich fool. And as you hear this, just imagine yourself out on a lawn with Jesus, probably the setting he taught this in where people could hear birds chirping, where people could see grass and flowers of the field. He spoke these words. So as I read this, when you feel led, go ahead and and take communion, and then we'll uh, conclude in some worship. But right now, let's just spend some time hearing the word. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, 
what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the, li- the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also.